It was unlike anything that we had ever seen before. We were there. Like, actually there, standing between the walls of Castle Wolfenstein, dodging bullets as the wave of Nazi soldiers came at us. There were things to look at. There were flags and lights, dogs, toilets. There was toilets. We could cruise through the castle at blazing speed. It was one of the games that truly brought us all into the 3D age. When Wolfenstein 3D was released, it was revolutionary, and it laid the groundwork for most modern games today. And we're going to talk all about it. So stick around and join us for today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 88th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week we're looking back at an important game. Wolfenstein 3D, originally released for DOS on May 5th, 1992. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who wishes he could have a cool name like BJ. It's oh so close, ladies and gentlemen. It's RJ Casson. Has anyone ever called you RJ before? I don't believe so, no. But if they have, I've forgotten it. So what's it like being a huge disappointment and being so close to a cool name? You know, I would say go ask yourself, but I'll I'll be nice this time. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it would be kind of cool. But at the same time, like, I dig my name. Okay, cool. Well, that's, that's what's important. Well, what's up, man? How you been? What's going on? Been good, man. You know, just, uh. Getting to play some awesome games this week, Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord. I know, that's the hype with all of you guys. Well, I mean, I just recently got it. It's enjoyable, but, you know, it's just another game. Mm-hmm. Uh, played some Rocket League. Mm-hmm. I played, hmm, I think, uh, I played some Apex, and I believe that may... Oh, and some Overwatch. Yeah, not two, unfortunately, but did get back into overwatch with some of the guys and uh, started getting back into that. So anticipation of the second one is like the beta for two out and about. Yes. I don't know if it's still open, but I know that it was released to like, uh, there was a select few. So it was a closed beta, but I missed that. Maybe it was open. I don't know. I missed that one. What about yourself? What, what are you even playing? Rocket league. And Forza and Terraria. Oh, yeah, that's right. So by the time everyone gets this, we're going to be two weeks away from an episode on Terraria. So in preparation, we're hosting a Terraria server for the month where 
our friends and listeners, one and the same, mostly, let's be honest, uh, can come and drop in and drop off and play some Terraria. I know with my friend group, it was a huge game back in the day, and we're going on its 11th anniversary this year, and they're still adding content to it. Well, now they're working on quality of life updates, but they've added a lot of content in the last 11 years, and there's a lot of it I've never seen or played, so... I decided to do a playthrough of Terraria. If y'all want to head in there and build stuff or wreck stuff or blow my stuff up, that's fine. You can find the login details for the server on our Discord, which you can also find by going to our website, www.memorycardlane.com. Boom, plug number one. Okay, we can move on. Do you know Wolfenstein 3D? Uh, I've heard of it. I have not played it. Have you played any of the modern Wolfensteins? I have not, although I do believe I watched Dad play it for a little bit before. Wow, that's really surprising. Yeah, I I know. I don't know how this one managed to not get played. Like, I know about it, and it's just something that I haven't gone, gotten, or played someone else that had it. I, I just don't have an answer to why I haven't. It's just hasn't gotten to it, haven't gotten around to it. Well, especially the modern ones. The modern ones are on Game Pass, and they're honestly really good first-person shooters. Like, solid first-person shooters, actually. Um, maybe not multiplayer. That's probably a lot of it, because you don't do a lot of single-player stuff, per se, anymore. Um, but, yeah, True. the modern ones are, are really solid games, actually. So, well, we're not looking at the modern ones today. We're, we're going back to the beginning. We're going to look back at Wolfenstein 3D and actually, for that matter, a little teaser. We're going to look back at its inspiration, which was Castle Wolfenstein. Very not well-known game. Um, So. Wolfenstein 3D was created by id Software. id Software has three founders. John, we've, we've actually discussed them before in our Doom episode. Rob. I went back to to look at our Doom episode to find out like what we talked about in terms of id software and like who we talked about between Carmack Romero and Hall. These are the three guys, John Carmack, John Romero, Tom Hall. What episode do Uh you think Doom was? Seven. Now double it on a plus one is number 15. But dude. 15 like oh my god was that a long time ago like we were we were like still trying to figure out what we were doing when we did a doom episode you know it's oh yeah everything's different now it's really crazy to think about like and and i liked our format in the beginning don't get me wrong i had a lot of fun stuff and we've kind of settled into this more like informational groove which is what you know i like but yeah it's crazy to think that that long ago, it's just crazy to think about that long ago. And we were doing games like Doom right at, right at, you know, 15 weeks, just months into this project. Now here we are with 88 straight weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So id Software, John Carmack, John Romero, and Tom Hall. They had all met in the offices of a company called soft disc, which is down here in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, they were part of a team called ideas from the deep. 
which was a group of soft disk employees uh, that basically were working on fun projects. Now, soft disk was a game that was basic or soft disk was a company. It was a development studio, basically that was basically developing multiple games for, it was, I believe it was called edge magazine. It was like a, a monthly magazine slash subscription type deal where you'd get a disc with games on it every month. It's like an, er, an early, like Netflix, I guess. I don't know. Netflix yeah, for computer games. There you go. Uh, games, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of these games, ones that were more, known uh include one called dangerous dave there you go that's probably the only time you'll ever hear that said i know i know so ideas from the deep right ideas from the deep is i mean these guys carmack romero specifically i mean hollow to a certain extent these are heavy hitters in the video game industry you know back in september of 1990 carmack basically figured out how to do rapidly side-scrolling graphics on the PC. And while nowadays that may not seem important, back then it was something that was only seen on consoles. And so this breakthrough where he found a way to do it without making the computers essentially cry was really a breakthrough. And when he figured it out, basically, he spent an entire night making a replica of the first level of super Mario brothers three, but in lieu of Mario, they inserted the graphics of the dangerous Dave character. Nice. um, Dangerous Dave and Mario. Yeah. You got to be dangerous Dave and Mario. And so Carmack showed this to John Romero and he titled it dangerous Dave and copyright infringement. (laughs) Okay, that's good. That's that's a good title right there. And the team realized that that this technology, what they had figured out, had a lot of potential. So they basically moonlighted. You know, aside from their soft disk, um, soft disk duties, they worked after hours. They took their work computers home on the weekends. And they turned this into it was basically it was over a course of a week and a half. They turned this into a larger demo where uh, basically it was a PC version of Super Mario Bros. 3. And they sent it to Nintendo and Nintendo responded, basically says, hey, this was impre- impressive, but they didn't want their IPs. No surprise and anything but their own hardware. And so basically the response was in the end, great job, but no, you can't do this. Um, so yeah. So I mean, hey, at least you still got nods from Nintendo. That's you still good. got nods from Nintendo. Um, definitely still got nods from Nintendo. Uh, if you're curious about it, in fact, this was a kind of an important moment for video game history. Side scrolling on a PC, that was a technological breakthrough. There's a working copy of this demo, um, their PC version of Super Mario Bros. 3, that was pre- it's it's preserved at the Museum of Play as of last year. So, oh wow, just just recently it got yeah put in there? they they discovered it in July of 2021 and pre- and 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 it got preserved in intern at the Museum of Play. So, wow. So yes, just recently. Hmm. Um, they it was one of those things that they never really acknowledged it or talked about it for so many years and it just it got found last year and and decided to be you know in the museum 
Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. So when we talked about the D- Doom episode, we learned about Apogee Software. Do you remember Apogee Software at all? Uh, a little bit, yes. So Apogee Software, for those of you that don't remember it, because I really don't expect anyone to remember things. Uh, Apogee Software was the king of the shareware concept. And, and shareware, for those of you who don't know it, is basically, I, I guess I equate it to what we think of for demos nowadays. They would have the first level or episode, or it always kind of varied, that would be included on a disc or when the early internet was kind of a thing on what we called BBSs or bulletin board systems, and they would make this first, you know, first part of these episodes available for free. So the concept was that if you wanted to unlock the rest of the game, that you had to do so by paying Apogee, basically, or the shareware person. And that, that in the beginning basically consisted of like writing a check and sending it to an address an address and they would mail you the rest of the game which was how kind of how it started out in the beginning with shareware so here in 1990 uh, apogee software scott miller who was one of the, the main guys at apogee he learned of ifd ideas from the deep and all and saw the potential saw their talent he basically and specifically he stumbled across dangerous dave and he reached out to john romero under the guise of multiple fan letters. Romero eventually put all the pieces together and came to realize that all these different fan letters came from the same address. And so he reached out to Miller and Miller explained that he had to be sneaky about it because soft just screened the letters they received. And in any case, this formed a, a relationship uh, between Miller and um, of Apogee software and, and Romero and some of the other ideas from the deep developers. As part of this relationship, they started pitching ideas to Miller stuff that they wanted to do that really wasn't part of their, you know, softest repertoire. One of these was a game that we kind of talked about in the doom episode called commander keen. Um, commander keen is a side scrolling game basically they took their super mario brothers 3 demonstration they turned it into a completely different game called commander keen so commander keen was a really popular game during the shareware genre time um every shareware disc like demo disc had a commander keen game it was just it was just one of those really popular pc games it was very successful game um after they released the first one which was called commander keen and the invasion of the vorticons so after after their first royalty check, they decided to start their own little company. But there was one issue. They had been making these games, Commander Keen, on Softdisk resources. Most, More specifically, they were taking their work computers home for the weekends to make these games. And so they ended up having to negotiate with Softdisk. And in the end, what everyone, the agreement was, was that they were going to produce a series of games for Gamers Edge, one for every two months. And with that, they were free from, from Softdisk, and they founded id Software, uh, officially founded by Romero, uh, the two Carmacks, John and Adrian, and Tom Hall, on February 1st, 1991. 
now as a side note, because I don't think we covered this last time, the name id, if it's not terribly obvious, came out of their previous name, which was Ideas from the Deep, IFD. One of the people had left the group, and so they opted to drop the F because he was related to the F name-wise. Um, they initially meant id to mean in demand as an initialism, but uh, after a short while, they opted to just let id stand out as a cool word, according to John Romero. Now, these games that they agreed to make for Gamer's Edge, they used the opportunity to push their own ideas that they wanted. Basically, these games became prototypes to push their own ideas for their games. Now, I think at this point, I want to point out, it's really important to know that Wolfenstein really was on the cutting edge of technology at the time. You're going to hear this as we go through reviews later on. It looked and it played like nothing else anyone had ever seen at the time. And it was through all these prototypes that they were working on that the team was able to create technology that allowed them to put all the pieces together. So... You know, in the beginning, Adrian Carmack, who is the artist of the group, you know, uh, and Wolfenstein, really used them to push his really dark art style. And John Carmack, through this process, began to experiment with 3D computer graphics. Um, so, you know, these were these these were things that they were working on at the time. 3D games prior to this were really mostly wireframe does that make sense rob um i guess i don't really know what you mean by wireframe so so there are there are 3d games before this but a wireframe is where like you see squares for a wall but no wall per se just squares standing up that tell you like it's a tunnel does that kind of make sense? There were no texture. Yeah. There's no textures okay. prior to this. It was isometric. I don't know. Well, I don't know about that, but one of the things that they really worked on here was creating surfaces for the walls. Prior to this, there weren't they really weren't walls. They were literally just square graphics, like like hollow square graphics that represented walls. Does that more make sense? Don't, I guess I, don't, I would really don't, have to see it. No, don't think of a solid surface. There's no solid surface to a wireframe. You, if you have a square, you can just see a square on the outside and you can see right through it to the other pieces of the square. There, There's no surface to any of the sides of the square. That's the concept of a wireframe. And so that's what was different about this is they worked on creating textures and surfaces and lighting you know to these areas to essentially create 3d as we know it not they weren't the first game to do it but they were the one who made it feel good and fast you know one of the games that they worked on was in april uh, uh, april of 91 a softest game called hover take 3d uh it's basically where a player drives a tank through a plane of colored walls and shoots nuclear monsters. Um, shortly after this, in the fall of 91, the team relocated to Madison, Wisconsin, you know, and 
what they looked at was a recent game that was released called Ultima Underworld. Now, Ultimate Underworld was a, a role-playing game that was released that had texture-mapped 3D graphics, whereas Hover Take really had flat walls, plain walls, and simple lighting. So just think of a plain square instead of, you know, a wall that has buttons and text and like 3D texture to it. Now, Carmack decided that he could add texture mapping to their game engine that they were working on, because through all this, they were slowly building a game engine with all these prototypes. And so he basically thought he could do it in a way that he just thought he could do it in a way that was better than Ultima. And so he basically took a month and a half, worked on this engine, and they made another game called Catacomb 3D. So Hover Tank 3D and Catacomb 3D were basically the precursors. All the all the technology that eventually went into Wolfenstein 3D, these were the two games that they made for Softdisk and their Edge, you know, magazine that basically they slowly built all these pieces within these two games. After seeing Catacomb 3D, Catacomb 3D was a real breakthrough for the company. Uh, Scott Miller, Apogee, the guy from Apogee, really had pushed the, started to push the team to make what he what he saw as a 3D shareware action game. It was November of 91, and they had just finished another Commander Keen game, and they all kind of sat down to plan out the next game. And there was talk to do another third Keen trilogy because they were coming off of a second trilogy of episodes. And they slowly began to realize that they were more interested in doing 3D action games than 2D side-scrolling games. Um, initially, there was a proposal by designer Tom Hall to do a sci-fi project called It's Green and Pissed, which I, I don't know. I don't know what that would be, Rob. What do you think It's Green and Pissed would be? Probably the Hulk. Oh, that's a good one. That's a real good one. But as part of this whole discussion, John Romero suggested that they do a 3D remake of a 1981 game called Castle Wolfenstein. Now, Castle Wolfenstein was an action-adventure game for the Apple II. It is one of the earliest games that we know of that has that's based on stealth mechanics. In it, you take the role of an allied spy that's been captured by Nazis and imprisoned in a dungeon within Castle Wolfenstein uh, in order to be interrogated by the SS. While you're waiting for interrogation, a dying prisoner kind of pops out of a hiding place. He hands the player a fully loaded pistol with 10 rounds and three grenades and he dies. And so from there, your objective is to use what you were given to escape from the castle. And that's that, you know, it, it, it basically takes place. It's a procedurally generated castle, which is really impressive for 1981 procedural generation that early is great, but it's a procedurally generated castle of approximately about 60 rooms that all have the house, you know, Nazi guards and, and SS stormtroopers in different, you know, it was kind of a puzzle stealth game. There were different levels in the castle. You had to maneuver your way through them in different ways. You know, it was a game that was played by Romero, Tom Hall, and John Carmack. They all really enjoyed it. They had fond memories of it, and they liked that the it was to them a, a maze-like shooter. And they felt like this concept, this maze-like shooting gameplay concept, would fit really well with the 3D game engine they were working on, you know, through all these prototypes. Um, and their artist, for his part, Adrian Carmack, 
he was really interested in moving away from Commander Keen, which was a very family friend friendly game, into something a little more mature. Everybody loved the idea, basically. And so Romero kind of expounded on the idea. And his his pitch was for them to make a loud and cool fast action game where the player could shoot soldiers before dragging it and looting their bodies. That kind of sums up the genre, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, even to this day, that kind of sounds up. That sums up the genre. The genre. Yeah, no, that that's been going strong for quite a while now. In Romero's mind, the core of their gameplay would be fast and simple. His thought was due to the novelty of it being in 3D and the control scheme they would have to design, players really wouldn't like complicated or slow gameplay. And they were really encouraged and felt that this game would really have a unique spot in the industry, which at the time... The PC game industry was all like simulation and strategy games, which makes sense. I was really big into those games then. You know, the Warcrafts and the Command and Conquerors of the world. Um, But yeah, so they were excited by the prospect. Hey, let's make a new game based on Castle Wolfenstein. Let's make it loud and cool and, 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 and create our own little niche in the PC gaming industry. So initially... The team didn't believe that they were going to be able to use the Wolfenstein name due to trademark issues. And so there were all these other possible titles that were thrown out there that I looked for, but really couldn't um, really couldn't find. They reached out to the guy who developed Castle Wolfenstein, Silas Warner, um, but they learned that the company that had developed and and made the game new software had shut down in 1986 And as part of that shutdown, they sold all the rights to Wolfenstein. Now, these rights randomly belong to someone in Michigan. I don't really know much about that. That's funny to me. And the team reached out to him and they were able to purchase the Wolfenstein trademark for about $5,000. And so with that, they were free to use the Wolfenstein name however they pleased. So they took this concept and they went to Apogee and Scott Miller. Scott Miller really considered it to be the most solid developer, his star developer in the Apogee family. And so he guaranteed it a $100,000 payment to complete the project, which at that time was pretty freaking killer. And so it was in December of 91 that development on Wolfenstein 3D began. You know, John Romero and Tom Hall designed the gameplay and the aesthetics, respectively. Romero wanted the goal to be to, as he said it, mow down Nazis. <laughs> With the suspense of storming a Nazi bunker full of SS soldiers, you know, and the dogs and Hitler and, you know, being able to mow everyone down with lethal weapons. Um Romero also kind of penned the general storyline for the game. You know, as as Tom Hall worked through the aesthetics, he designed the levels. He added the collectible objects that we know of. Um, yeah. They basically took the 3D engine and they worked on it. You know, John Carmack programmed the core of the game's engine in about a month. 
he took their game engine from Canicom 3D and he added some features to it. This these features included support for doors, allowed them to add non like decorative objects onto walls. But most of his most of his tweaks were all focused on making the game run smoother and faster with higher graphics, because that's kind of what what they wanted to stand out from everyone. Um, and so they all kind of worked together to make this game. One of the more interesting things to note during the development process was the level design. They have a grid-based level design that that they took their inspiration from Pac-Man, actually. And if you didn't know, there's there's actually a hidden Pac-Man level in the game that follows the same path as Pac-Man. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny because we talk about how uh, you'll find you'll hear a lot of talk about how violent and aggressive this game is and. The truth is, is the team was going to push it further. They wanted to add some anti-fascist references and Nazi atrocities, but they left those out to avoid controversy. Controversy, um, But they did kind of still want that atmosphere. You know, they added violent animations for enemies being shot. They added gunshots, you know, sounds to make it exciting. And even still, it was this, like dance on the edge where there were concerns over its violence and shot content now at the time apogee was its shareware developer but they were in the process of partnering with a company called um from gen or form gen from gen to be like their their retail distributor and form gen kind of came at them and said hey we're really concerned over the violence in this game because we might not be able to sell it and you think that a company might back down from things like that, but its response was to bump all of these aspects up. You know, Adrian Carmack added skeletons, corpses, and bloody wall details. Holland Romero added screams and cries in German. And they also coded a death cam into the game that would show a replay of the death uh, when you killed the boss of an episode. Um, the team also added musically the anthem of the Nazi party to the opening screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so they basically pushed it even further. It was also during this phase that they added in a feature that this game is really no, no, known well for secret areas. You know, there are walls in the game that when you trigger them like a door, you know, uh, they the, do- the wall slides up and out of the way and there are secret areas. Um, they added cheat codes. They added a backstory for the game. And and basically, on May 5th, 1992, the first episode was released to the shareware model. First to bulletin board systems, and then it trickled other ways. And a few weeks later, other episodes kind of followed. Now, for those of you who don't know and are curious where the title for today's episode comes from, which is Everybody Loves BJ, because they do. You know what I mean? Sure, Dave. Wolfenstein 3D is a first-person shooter, in case that wasn't obvious, in which you play as William B.J. Blaskowitz, who is an American spy of Polish descent, and you follow his efforts to destroy the Nazi regime. Now, the first game that we're talking about, the, the game that we're talking about here is divided into two sets of three episodes. The very first episode of the game is called Escape from Castle Wolfenstein. Basically... 
BJ is trying to find the plans for something called Operation Eisenfaust, and he gets captured, and he has to escape Castle Wolfenstein, which is where he was taken. Um, the second episode is Operation Eisenfaust, which follows his discovery of the operation and his dismantling of it. And basically, Eisenfaust is a Nazi plan to create an army of undead mutants. And the third episode is called Die, Fear, Her, Die, which has him infiltrating a bunker underneath the Reichstag, and it culminates in a battle with Adolf Hitler, who is donning a robotic suit that's equipped with chain guns. So, robotic Adolf Hitler. Nice. Yeah, I mean, this game took everything over the top, you know? Hell yeah. No, it's it's, it's a cool concept, absolutely. Now but, that's uh, the... in imperfect Simpsons fashion. It's not die if you're a die. It's D if you're D as in <laughs> D if you're the. Uh-huh. Uh, now the second trilogy, the second set of three episodes, it was just a prequel to the to the first one where you deal with basically German plans for chemical warfare. So the first trilogy is definitely the one most people I think are more familiar with. Later on, there was an additional episode called The Spirit of Destiny, which basically has Blaskowitz trying to recover the Spirit of Destiny from Nazis. Also, at some point, Apogee released a fan pack that had over 800 fan-created levels. That was super exciting. I would like to point out here, Wolfenstein was a big deal. I say that with a lot of games, and, and I, I mean it, like... This game was fast and it was furious and it really was the first time we got to see a game like this that, you know, a, 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 a 3D designed environment that you were in. That's the best way to put it. And it just I mean, and it played fast. I mean, a lot of old games were fun, but, you know, in hindsight, they were very slow and clunky, you know, um, right. Wolfenstein 3D was not clunky. This was a, a super important deal. It was a lot of fun. It, it played really well. And um, I do remember tracking down all the level, the fan created levels. They'd get released online in bits and pieces. And it was super exciting to be able to add uh, fan created levels to the game and play more of Wolfenstein and Doom and all those other games that we've. Duke Nukem, that was another one that had the same type of concept where you could add these wads these these uh fan created levels to games so it was um it was a lot of fun you know it, it back in this time the 90s you know culturally we're not as sensitive to things as we are now not that's a bad thing i think a lot of things have changed for the the you know the uh the positive I take but, that as an insult, Dave. Yeah, well, we're we're woke, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, certain things it is okay to be more sensitive about, but you know, some I, things I, do get a little out of control. I get. I, I guess the point is, is I I probably shouldn't have been a what eight nine year old playing a game where I was violently killing Nazis, but I had no idea of what Nazis were back then. I knew they were bad guys. And I knew I was killing the bad guys. You know what I mean? I mean, in the 1940s, they they probably had stuff in school <laughs> with little kids the same age shooting like cutouts yeah. of Nazis getting ready for war. So like, yeah, 
you know, just modern age requires modern solutions. I just think I just want to acknowledge the fact it's weird to be talking about how exciting it was to have a game where you murder Nazis. And I mean, I have no love for Nazis. They all the concept is appalling, both in history and modern Nazis. But um, the game was great. Honestly, the game is fantastic. I guess I can't complain because the modern Wolfenstein's you're still you're still taking care of Nazis. So but um, it was it was special. I'm, I mean, it was special. That's all I'm going to say. It was it was very special and unlike anything I had ever seen before. And well, um, Dave, I think with that, we should turn to some people who were a little better with words. OK, yeah, uh, yeah, let's. yeah, I yeah. Uh, I think I think these guys can do a little better job than whatever you're trying to say over there. Maybe, maybe not. Jury's still out on that, but I'll I'll, I'll reserve judgment. All right, Dave. Well, with that, we're going to go to our first critic review. And our first review is posted in Dragon Magazine number 197, written by Sandy Peterson. It gives us a little insight into how the shareware model was perceived here in the very beginning. Sandy writes that this is an unusual type of game. It is unlikely to be for sale in any store near you, yet it is readily available. Wolfenstein is shareware. The initial installment of Wolfenstein can be obtained from bulletin boards of professional shareware distributors either for free or for a nominal fee. You can also order it directly from Apogee. Wolfenstein boasts six different adventures, but you can only get the first adventure for free. To get further adventures, you must pay Apogee. <laughs> yeah. That oh right. my goodness. <laughs> Talk about a lyrical genius. There what? you go. There you go. Uh, so Sandy continues on by saying, Many years ago, there was a simple little game called Castle Wolfenstein, designed by a fine game designer named Silas Warner. This game puts you inside a Nazi-controlled castle from when you had to shoot your way out. Wolfenstein's concept is the same as the earlier game, but it has evolved almost beyond recognition. Wolfenstein gives you a prisoner's eye view of the castle, with spectacular vistas or brick, stone, or wooden walls, overhead lights, dangling cages holding skeletons, beds, oil drums, stoves, and even toilets. Toilets, huh? Toilets, Dave. Hey, toilets. There's something special in every game. That there are, and apparently it's the that to- the toilets. Yep. The lantern-jawed Nazis look great too, sneering viciously as they fire at you. There is nothing quite like Wolfenstein. While other games boast both complex 3D and scaled sprites, such as Ultima Underground, Wolfenstein's greatest asset is its speed. You can careen down the forest halls at an astonishing rate for 3D, racing past highly detailed posters of Defur while Nazi guards shoot at you. Defur. I, I hate that word. It's so <sighs> awkward. If you like a fun game with lots of action, I unreservedly recommend Wolfenstein 3D. I did mention one important caveat, though, Sandy says. If you are offended by the sight of Nazi of Nazi regalia, or if wholesome slaughter disturbs you wholesale. Wow. I do mention one important caveat. 
If you are offended by the sight of Nazi regalia, or if wholesale slaughter disturbs you, this game is not for you. Well, Dave, with that lyrical genius, I think that I think that, that might have been a little better word. And uh, I think this game is for the people who like to, to slaughter some Nazis. I think so, too. I um, count me definitely on that list. So, Well, Dave, let's find out what our next critic had to say. And for that, we have from Computer Gaming World issue number 98, we have Chris Lombari, who wrote a review of Wolfenstein titled The Third Reich in the Third Dimension. In it, he writes, my first experience with a computer game was in 1983 with a remarkable little program called Capital. Wow. <laughs> what is wrong with me tonight? You, you keep wanting to switch between German and English, which is the I problem. I really do. And I, I know annoying. because you, you're slipping in and out. It's great. I'm leaving this in. You can start that over again, oh. but I'm leaving this a little bit in. My first experience with the computer game was in 1983 with a remarkable little program called Castle Wolfenstein. In Castle Wolfenstein, the player controlled a little stick figure representing an American GI trapped deep within the prisons of a Nazi stronghold. When a surprise Nazi guard yelled out, Achtung, Halt und Schweinhund, it was the first time I heard a computer make more than annoying beats. Now, id software has taken the basic premise for castle wolfenstein and given it literally a new perspective it has put the player inside the head of our hero bj blatskowitz where they will see firsthand what it's like to tiptoe cautiously past daydreaming guards to spring frantically out of a stream of lead and to machine gun an advancing ss trooper in bloody detail in Wolfenstein 3D, the player is there like no game I've ever played before. Much like Ultima Underground, Wolfenstein is set in a free-scrolling, texture-mapped environment. Though less detailed in Underworld, the scrolling action is much faster. You can race through the hallways at impressive speeds. Though the graphic detail of the environment is sparse, it is gorgeous nonetheless. The castle is decorated beautifully with textured walls and loads of Nazi paraphernalia. Beautiful murals and stained glass windows of Der Führer, the German eagle, and swastikas are liberally hung about. Castle Wolfenstein is, with Ultima Underworld, the first game technologically capable of creating a sufficient element of disbelief and suspension to, suspension to emotionally immerse the player in a threatening environment i mean if it's the first 3d environment that looks like you're somewhere else it's pretty easy you know i mean yeah it, it was hey. it was that's what i mean it was so ultima was pretty like the first ultima and this were like the two games that were like put you in an environment like a 3d environment which ah, it's so hard nowadays for any modern listeners to have any concept of that, but it, uh, I don't know. It really was mind blowing. I, it sometimes bums me out that there, I know there are people that may never experience that. I don't know though. There's still cool things you get to experience being put in VR for the first time was probably pretty cool. Yeah, that it definitely can be. I mean, 
who knows maybe the uh when if full dive ever becomes a reality that'll be the next big oh, crazy yeah. thing yeah for sure and then yeah. we'll just have people get trapped in a game and you know never get out and then yeah. it turns into wally um yeah or that okay two different things we're talking but yeah yeah there you go no no i know exactly what they're talking about but like that's my thing people are just gonna get fat and be on scooters all the time i mean ready player one is a more apt uh comparison for a deep dive but i just yeah like, that's a good point i just like the thought of you know people gaining all that weight because now they're just going to be in a, a fantasy world 24 7 so what else we got well, well dave that's all we have for critic reviews today. So I think next we want to talk about the most important to us, the players. So first up, we have Tomer Gable from Moby Games, who says that the good of this game is to suffice to say it was programmed by John Carmack. It was simply groundbreaking at the time, though clearly inferior to Doom, which came out a year or so later. It was still an awesome game. First-person shooter action, decent graphics, a blazingly fast, for the time, 3D engine, and a truly ridiculous storyline. It's what makes first-person shooter so great, isn't it? When asked the bad, Tomer says, what's not to like? The music and sound effects aren't all that, but the game still rocks. Bottom line, they said, if you like Doom, you'll like its predecessor. Get it? Play it, love it, live it. As a side note, if you want to play it, it's readily available. It's on Steam. It's a ported version that plays on a DOS box. For those of you that know what that is, you can buy it. I mean, full price is 10 bucks, but I'm sure it drops to nothing every so often. And if it's on Steam in that way, that means it's going to be on GOG Good Old Games and I'm sure you can find it other places too. The whole the whole whole series is on there. What else you got, Rob? Well, Dave, next up we have Robert Morgan from Moby Games, who writes, Considering my view of Commander Keen and my similar views for most other PC software from the late eighties, early nineties, I didn't think much of the PC as a gaming platform. Sure, I had fun with the big bloated simulators and adventures around then, but for pure action gaming I didn't bother. I started hearing about Wolfenstein 3D and having been a player of the original 2D games on the Apple II and Commodore 64, I tried it out at a friend's house. My jaw hit the floor and I hit the keyboard. I did not come up for air for hours. Compared with corridor shooters or FPSs, if you will, of today, Wolf seemed a little bit dated. Doom really swept the market shortly afterwards, and it's been a steadily a steady progression upwards in quality and gameplay since. With that, with the deluge of corridor shooters, though, the gameplay of today's games, which doesn't seem as fresh or as exciting as it did when I first beheld the twisting, turning 3D mazes in Wolfenstein. Since I've never been pleased with the home adaptations of Atari's arcade game Zybots, this game really made do. One other thing. Wolfenstein really changed the way that software is looked at and dealt with. Shareware was an uncommon site on the computers I'd used before. It existed, but for the most part, authors either released their works as freeware and public domain, or maybe sold copies through small ads in the back of computer magazines. 
Sharer was more of a force in the PC world, but it was the ugly mutated sibling to real commercial software. You just didn't expect quality or support in Shareware titles. Apogee started out with what comes across today as crummy basic-like adventure games. It really is kind of mind-boggling to see the progression that occurred in quality over the years. From the Crows games, to Captain Comic and Commander Keen, to Wolfenstein 3D and Doom, the game's quality increased exponentially. It also drove from the market, both shareware and standard commercial, substandard software, and changed the face of computer games. Shareware became a legitimate place for large and talented groups of people to release commercial quality games. So nice review, not only talking good about the game, but you know, just the impact that it had, which is something we always like to talk about. It is, and you know, I've talked about shareware before. It was, I mean, he's it. It it was, it was right. You know, I. And it was always hit or miss, absolutely. I, I mean, I equate it to, like, if you go on any digital store nowadays, you're going to have AAA titles, and you're also going to have, like, the indie, indie, indie titles. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. But that's what, the, that's what those... And I used to get so excited. I used to beg Mom and Dad to buy me the magazines that would come with the shareware CDs on it because they were all new games to me. And... I didn't care that it was only the first episode. I probably played the first episode of Wolfenstein 10,000 times and, and only finished the rest of it a handful, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was so excited for new games, but really you had games like Wolfenstein and it could be alongside like games that would have existed on the Commodore 64, like real basic crappy games. But that, that was, that was the genre, you know, that was people, people just wanted to get their games out there and, into people's homes and that's you know shareware was how they did it and it was it was special i mean like i said i i used to get so geeked whenever i could find um whenever i could find new shareware discs and then when the internet you know became a thing you know we got the internet mm, 95 i think is when we finally got got aol somewhere around there maybe 97 i don't know but um then you could download these on, you know, the shareware off the internet, and that was that was awesome too. So yeah, right you are, Dave. Just like, just like Robert Morgan from Moby Game says, pretty awesome. Yep, it was awesome. So next up, we have Oh Hi Mark from Steam, whose review was, "I stab Nazis and eat food off the floor." Okay, thumbs up. That's it. That's the game. That's it. That's. You know, I, I thought, hey, that is perfect. That that gets right to the point. It does. That's the game. That's the game in a nutshell. Right you are, Dave. So next up, we have Palpatine 66. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> Could it be? Also on Steam, who writes, I've played this game probably over 5,000 hours total since I first booted it up on my grandparents' IBM-compatible 486 with turbo 88 hertz using the floppy drive. I spent countless hours over the summer playing it till my grandpa wanted to puke from being seasick with all my turning around and checking walls for hidden passages in rooms. I remember he would draw maps of the rooms and mark where he found treasure and health, etc. It was Always thrilling finding dog food and ammo hidden behind a Hitler portrait 
or giant swastika. I always knew something big was about to happen whenever the brick color changed from gray to red or blue. The high-quality 3D graphics are only surpassed by the excellent sound effects and soundtrack. I highly recommend this game. Yeah. That sounds like everybody does, though, right? Well, it genuinely seems that way, Dave. And I did try, although I didn't have a lot of time to try to find reviews today, um, I did try to find negative reviews. And at least as far as what I could tell on Steam... Uh, the only negative reviews really just had to do with the port. Everyone said that the port sucked, the controls were crappy, but the people, even the people who were saying that, for a lot of them, still said the game itself was good. It was just a bad port. Um, I, it was kind of difficult to find people who didn't have much good things to say. Well, I mean, even still, a lot of the people I guarantee that have bad things to say are, are going to look at it. It, with a modern lens and be like, well, this just doesn't hold up anymore, you know? And that was the other side of it. There were a few people who did say that, but obviously we, we, we kind of have to take those with a grain of salt because, you know, it's going to be different. It's like if I played these now, I probably wouldn't find them quite as enjoyable as you did as an eight-year-old growing up, and that was your first experience into it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that it, it being so revolutionary cemented it for a lot of people. You know, I should say that when id released the game they had no expectations for sales they had no clue how it was going to sell if you remember they thought they were going to carve out this little niche part in the industry what they didn't count of was that it was going to be a big niche part of the industry right off the bat they had been selling about 4000 copies a month by mail order which was huge for a pc game at the time um and given that they had no expectations when it was recognized as the top shareware seller of 1992, they, I mean, they freaking celebrated. They went through the roof. Just to put this into perspective, for the first year and a half, Wolfenstein 3D made them about $200,000 a month per, like a month for a year and a half, you know, and that's, that's big. That's big money back then. It's big money now. It's big money uh, yeah, back then. Even now, that's, that's still pretty damn good. You know, it sold. It, overall it grossed about 2.5 million dollars in revenue um, so needless to say it was it was a, a commercial success and if all those reviews are any indication it was pretty much a critical success too um, so that being said i kind of want to talk really briefly about what wolfenstein is now because it, i think that Wolfenstein isn't very well known because a year later Doom came out and Doom Doom like Doom was everything it's made by the same team Doom was everything they learned from Wolfenstein amped up with all with everything they learned you know um so they learned how to make it look better they learned how to make it faster they learned how to make it more everything and Doom is kind of that moment where everyone was like was really the moment but it all started here with Wolfenstein 3D. You know, this is, this was, if Catacomb 3D and Hover Tank 3D were the early prototypes, this was the first major prototype of the 3D engine. And Doom was like the culmination of all everything they learned around along the way, you know? Right, absolutely. And so this is really the grandfather of 3D shooters. This is, it's really hard to trace a game, a modern game, 
specifically in the first person genre, but even outside of the first person genre that doesn't owe something to Wolfenstein 3D for what it gave today, you know, Doom, Quake, and Wolfenstein, those are the games that invented the modern first person shooter genre. It looks like it does, it plays like it does because of these three games. And because of this, you almost always see for Wolfenstein specifically on a list of greatest video games of all time. Um, it's really hard not to give that distinction to a game that literally every game in this genre can trace its lineage to. I don't know if it holds up as well. You know, it it it's a game and it's good to play, but it, it, it looks like a game from the 90s, you know? And some people are going to be into that look and some people are not going to be into that look. But it's a, I, I say this every week. I, I still think it almost every week because there's one there's one time I, I told you not to play a game. I, I think it's something someone should try. Games back then were short. This is a couple hours of your time and you, you can have an understanding for where everything came from. You know, you know what I do remember, Rob? What's that? Dude? The, so it licensed out this Wolfenstein engine. Uh, they did the Doom engine too and, and, and everything. So every time one of these games came out, they would license out these engines and there was all these other games that would look and play like it. You know, this one had like Blake Stone and Corridor 7, Operation Body Count. And we actually talked about a game in a recent episode that uses the Wolfenstein engine, uh, Super 3D Noah's Ark from when we talked about the wisdom tree Christian publishing episode. So we've actually seen the Wolfenstein engine before now. Wolfenstein has one really other distinction that we got to talk about before we take it out of here for the day. This, I'll take it. this game, this I got it, Dave. Okay. So I actually learned about this one really, really recently um, because I actually know exactly what you're talking about. You don't have to tell me a damn thing. No, knowing Wolfenstein 3D and knowing the big controversy over it. How did that come up recently in conversation? It was more of when we were I was looking over some stuff for this game. Okay. Um, But I had remembered that. In German class in college we Mm -hmm. were taught that the nazis imagery is illegal yep and you know i always thought it was just because of the war and that was it like you know obviously they didn't want that negative image and that was the whole thing but it turns out from when i was doing some research on the game that wolfenstein 3d actually caused so much uproar with the depiction of the nazi symbols and everything that that was the reason that germany created that ban Mm mm-hmm um, and it was, I think, 2018 or 2019. So it was actually rather recently that that ban was actually lifted and it's now able to be played in Germany. Um, yeah. 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 So there was such an uproar that that's what effectively caused the ban of all Nazi imagery in Germany, which I mean, I understand you don't want to take pride in all of that. But it was just always weird to me that, you know, anyone who had them was arrested. And I mean, that's not the case here is there's people who have millions of millions of dollars worth of nazi memorabilia and if it's not a museum people still don't bat an eye even though in other countries it'd be illegal yeah so for those of you who don't know back here when the game was released in the 90s like rob said it created an uproar and they basically created a ban it was in germany that banned video games and other forms of media that contain symbols and imagery from extremist groups which was mostly nazis to them 
and this ban basically any form of media let's talk about the game part here any game that included these inappropriate images were ineligible to get a rating from the German software ratings board, which is the ESRB in America, where they'll say like, this game is Peggy plus or whatever, you know, and without a rating, it couldn't be sold in Germany. And this ban existed from the nineties until 2019, where they determined that video games were a form of artistic impression. And now they're rated like they are in the United States where they're given an age and content warning and people are kind of free to choose to play them or not. Despite this, a lot of German retailers still refuse to stock games that have Nazi imagery in them. So publishers still make German-specific versions that don't have the imagery or they have the ability to turn it on and off. So, And just to clarify, if I'm not mistaken, and so obviously someone who knows German law and all of this would probably be able to tell me that I'm wrong for once, um, it doesn't just affect video games it's media in general there's very few media that is able to publish nazi memorabilia or nazi um imagery um so it's not only video games are affected actually affected the uh entire industry media media industry so it's kind of crazy to think about that this this game not only was such a positive impact in all of gaming world but created such a negative impact in germany that they banned something that by all rights should should be but at the same time it is historical and there's historical value in keeping it around and in sight yep 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 so i i will say that you know we talked about there being modern games so wolfenstein's a series that still exists to this day you know cat wolfenstein 3d was the second in the series castle wolfenstein being the first and as of now there are a dozen games in the series the last one called wolfenstein cyber Palette, Pilot is a VR experience that was released in 2019. Um, Wolfenstein Cyber Pilot and Wolfenstein Youngblood, which I think came out the same year, were the first games in the Wolfenstein series that were able to be sold uncensored in Germany. Well, fun fact. So uh, if you've never played them, like I told Rob in the beginning, the modern Wolfenstein games are actually really good it's no joke they're really good first person shooters if you're into single player first person shooting experiences um not so great as multiplayer i don't even know if they have multiplayer to be honest with you but as uh although i i take that back young blood is a co-op shooter um but otherwise um the wolfenstein um, wolfenstein wolfenstein new colossus uh the main series they're just really good story based really good story based first person shooters i highly recommend playing them so there you go that's wolfenstein little another moment where video game got some you know a a revolutionary technology introduced to it and it laid the framework for i mean framework that we're still reaping the benefits of today so important game right 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 dave we we talk about a lot of important games do we not rob uh quite a few quite a few i'd say so if you if you want to learn any more about an important game like wolfenstein or other ones like maybe you want to go back to our 15th episode and learn about doom or our episode earlier this year and learn about uh super 3d noah's ark you can do so by finding our old episodes uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts or on our website which is www.memorycarlane.com 
Also on our website, you can find a calendar of upcoming episodes. You can find a link to submit your own memories or uh, comments, questions, anything like that. You can find a link to our Discord, where, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, right now you can find the information for a Terraria server we're hosting if you'd like to come and play Terraria with us. Uh, Yeah, Uh, you can also find links to our social media. I'm on there as David is wrong. That's where I tweet and where I stream from. Rob, what's your social media right now? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. True enough. Although I will tell you uh, as a to our audience, we stream mostly to our Discord group nowadays. We, we all kind of like the intimacy of, of that environment. Uh, so, I mean, I, I mostly recommend people join our Discord if you'd like to interact with us. Probably the best place to do so. Uh, all right. Well... Every week, we try to teach you something new about our t- our game, our topic game, which is Wolfenstein 3D today. What it takes from the world as its inspiration, or what it gives back to the world as its legacy. In doing so, we like to acknowledge that by teaching you, we learn things as well. And as part of that process and our commitment to teach you things, we like to go round table and talk about our biggest takeaways for the episode so rob what did you learn dave what did you learn oh i got i got i get to go first yeah you get to go first i learned about the progression to wolfenstein that was the newest thing for me i didn't know about id's background i've never researched it before so getting to learn about their beginnings of soft disc i did know about I, i i do i am familiar with soft disc but i didn't really know id association with it um, and I particularly didn't know that their softest games were essentially prototypes into this, which is also a prototype into Doom. So it was really fascinating to be able to look at these games and understand the progression of how they added technology to each one, working their way to Wolfenstein as we know it today. So that was my favorite takeaway of today's episode. How about you? You know, I, I definitely learned a lot about this. But and I'm sure that I said this in a previous episode when we talked about shareware, but it still blows my mind that this is so popular and was shareware that it started out as literally just a demo that you got. And that was just commonplace. I mean, I know demos nowadays are are a lot more commonplace, but it's just like you would just go and like an ad in a magazine and that was it like yeah but but our demos that common i look let's be when's the last time you played a demo i'm forgetting right now but i've played i mean i guess demo versus beta okay that's a fair point a lot of them are beta. I mean, so i guess the last one i would have played would have been for resident evil uh biohazard okay the one in the house because i played that trailer before it came out actually i may have played another one since then i just can't think of it but that is the last one i vaguely i I, not vaguely i strongly remember playing no i had the damn coin that you got for completing it (laughs) i know demos exist they i I mean I, i can tell you the last one i played which was that planet terraforming game uh i played uh, that couldn't have even been a month ago. So I played them recently. I just don't know many people who play demos anymore. I just don't think it's as, I don't think it's as, it, it doesn't take much to code one for starters, but I just don't think it's as much of a attack, a, a thing as it used to be. I don't think, I don't really think people go out of their way to play demos. 
That's my point. So. Yeah, it seems like they're just the people who go all in, all or nothing, and then there are the people who wait for it to go for like a free weekend, try it out, and decide they like it, or playing out a friend's machine, and then buy it themselves. Or it's just the hype is so strong that they just, you know, everyone wants it, and they don't care if it's crappy, and they'll just keep buying it because it's popular. Yep, for sure. Well, Rob, before I take it out of here, is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode? I would like to take one quick moment to say thank you to each and every one of our listeners. It means the world to us. We love having you here. We sometimes love being here, even though it causes Dave so much pressure. Ha ha ha. No, we love being here. And we're glad that you have been taking this journey with us for so many weeks. It's a pressure, but it's fun pressure. So, uh, pressure. I, I had a lot going on outside of this podcast this week. For those of you who don't know, I also help run an animal rescue. It was a big fundraising week for us. I was very busy with that. And so everything related to today's episode, I was doing at the last minute, probably going to be obvious now in hindsight, as you listen to it, but you know, I like helping animals too, and talking about video game history. So sometimes it's harder to bide my time around all that. Oh, well. But we get it done. We got we it done. And, you know, that, that's the important thing. We, we love being definitely here got it done. sharing all of our information with all of you and supporting animals, you know? Gotta Absolutely. Help them, help them animals. They can't help themselves. No. <laughs> all right. Well, let's take it into next week. You know, on last week's episode, we learned about Double Fine Productions. As part of that, we kind of briefly touched on the graphic adventure genre. We were talking about games like Maniac Mansion, The Secret of Monkey Island. And so next week, and you know, we're going to be looking at that genre. We're going to be looking at actually a really popular game in the graphic adventure genre. Uh, one made by a different company in a fantasy setting. Released for IBM computers in May of 84, King's Quest was really a revolutionary game for its time. It is, it is a highly influential game in the graphic adventure genre. So as part of our episode next week on it, we're going to look at the game. Uh, we'll take a look at its creator, Roberta Williams. And along with her husband, she would found a company best known as Sierra Online, which we'll also take a look at. So join us again next week because we're going to go on a legendary adventure as we take yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Scotty do bop 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 do body bop bop do dow bop.